0: All right, grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians, book of Ephesians, sorry about that. Um, man, uh, it's a good day. I hope you and your family enjoyed uh, Thanksgiving, had a great Thanksgiving week, uh, and I uh, hope it was good for you. Um, I don't know, uh, we had a lot going on, uh, which I won't go get into, but I don't know how many or how much basketball and football I watched, but... Uh, my do- last night, I was wanting to watch some, and they wanted to watch a Hallmark Christmas show. And they reminded me I'd watched a lot of football over the week, so they got to watch the Hallmark show. Um, I-, I-, I don't know how much I ate. I-, I don't know what I ate, but but here's what I do know: We did a staff challenge for four weeks where we who are- we challenged to see who could lose the most weight percentage wise, and I didn't win that. And uh, and who could exercise the most. And I lost five pounds, and I had to go to the doctor Wednesday up in North Carolina, and I'd gained four of it back already. <laughs> so, and, and Thanksgiving hadn't even happened yet. So I'm just saying, you know, I, I don't know what that means, but uh, but I had a good week. I uh, hope you had a good week. I hope you got plenty to eat, and uh, but I also hope that you had an opportunity maybe to um, to reflect on the thanksgiving holiday i mean what you know it's it's so easy to you know to, to think about the general things and, and i hope you took some time just to reflect a little bit and kind of think about okay what does god think about this i read about this little boy a couple weeks ago and i kind of saved him but he, he was four years old and he went to thanksgiving uh and they asked him to say the to say the prayer you know to return thanks for the for the dinner and and so he began obviously thanking God and he he thanked God for his friends and he called them all by name and then he thanked God for mommy and daddy and brother and sister and of course grandma and grandpa and then he got to the aunts and uncles because and he's just going down the list. And then he started thanking God for the food and he got the turkey and the dressing and you know the, the sweet potatoes and he really got serious when he got to the desserts. Uh, the positive and even thank God for the cool whip and, and then he stopped and it just got silent and you know how that gets and he I guess he began to reflect, and after a minute he looked up at his mama and said, Mom, if I thank God for the broccoli, will he know i 'm lying <laughs> so um Hey, God will know if we're lying. God will know if we're really thankful for what we say uh, we're thankful for. And he really does know. And, you know, so often in this season, you know, we're thankful uh, for the obvious. You know, obviously, we're thankful for our family and the blessings. And, and we're so blessed in so many ways. Um, and we and we thank God because cause we're saved and and, you know, and in, in the obvious things. But this morning, I, I want to look at Ephesians 3. And this is, um, this may be, I got to be careful. This, this may be my favorite prayer in the Bible. And you got to be careful saying this is my favorite. Because this is not the Lord's Prayer in John 17, the high priestly prayer. Uh, so you got to be careful with that. But man, this prayer, I, I love this prayer. Because I can't wrap my head around Everything it means for us. And as we as we kind of go out of the Thanksgiving season and start moving into the Christmas season, uh, you know, the Thanksgiving order to continue. But I really want us to unpack this great uh prayer. So look with me in your Bibles there. Ephesians chapter three. We'll begin reading in verse fourteen. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, it is in the name of this Lord Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. In his awesome name, we invite you to come in here this morning. Lord, I pray that by your spirit and that you would You would search our hearts. And God, I pray that by your spirit that you would un- unlock this text. And God, that we'd be able to look down into the word of God and, and we'd at least be able to begin to wrap our mind around this The awesome promises, or or maybe the better word is the awesome possibilities that are available to us that Paul is praying for us. Obviously, he was praying for the the Ephesians, but but what he prayed for them is a prayer for us. There's these blessings that are at our disposal. They're, They're for us. And I pray that you'd help us get our mind around that. And, and Father, obviously, in a, in a group this size, there, there are some here this morning who, who, have, who have not yet decided to follow Jesus. Maybe they're trying to make a decision. In fact, maybe today they'll decide. And God, I hope they'll comprehend through this text what Jesus offers to them. Absolutely free for the asking free for the asking and so father would your spirit come and search us would you teach us God would you lead us God I as I've studied as I've looked through this thing God I cannot teach this apart from the anointing leading guiding work of the Holy Spirit Lord I can't get my head around this and so God I would ask you to 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 speak through me, Lord, that I wouldn't speak according to my own wisdom, but only in demonstration of the Spirit's power. So come and meet with us and we'll be careful, Lord Jesus, to give you the honor and the glory for all that you do. And we, and we pray in his strong and mighty name. Amen. Well, Paul gets on his knees here. Isn't it interesting when you read Paul's prayers and uh, I was listening to a guy, I think it was last night, uh, talk about this text. He talked about, you know, some of Paul's prayers in the uh, New Testament. And this is the second we dealt with one two weeks ago. But but Paul was such a passionate prayer and so willing to pour out his heart. And so willing uh, to get on his knees. And, uh, I mean, think about this. This text was written in prison. What we believe is that Paul might even have been chained to a Roman soldier at this time. Could you imagine, I mean, imagine that, that you're in a dungeon, you're chained to a Roman soldier, and, and here Paul is, you know, about to dictate a letter to a church, and he, he gets on his knees, and he just, and he's chained to this old boy that's a Roman soldier. And, and he just begins to pour out his heart that God would do something in the lives of these Ephesians who he had poured his heart into, who he had presented the gospel to. And so he just, he pours that out to them. Now, now why did he do that? Well, look at verse 14. It says, uh, excuse me, it says, for this reason I bow my knees. And so if you you guys, we got to look back, and I started looking back and said, well, what is the reason? And I looked up in, in a few of the verses. Well, if you go all the way back to Ephesians 3 verse 1, you see an almost exact statement. He says, for this reason, I bow my knee. And, and, and then he goes into this parenthetical statement. And so what you've got to do is you've actually got to go back to chapter 1 and you've got to go back to chapter 2 and you've got to find out why is he praying what he's praying. And and uh, Ian dealt with really one of the reasons last week because he talked about how we, we, we're dead in our transgressions and our sins. But God, because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive in Christ. In other words, we were dead, and now we've been made alive and, and raised up with Christ. And, and, and so that's part of the reason. But that's not all of the reason, because if you if you're going back to chapter two, li- listen about verse twelve. He says to them, He says, Remember that, that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were separated. Uh, from Christ, alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you were you were far off, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he goes on to talk about how how God made the two one in Christ Jesus, and and, and so all the promises. All the covenants and all the love and all the compassion that God had for Israel. Paul says, what's theirs is now yours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family, it says in the, the ESV, uh, I think in the NIV, it probably says the whole family. And what he's talking about there—not not not every family uh, in the world, but every believing family—in other words, Jew and Gentile, all the all the people of God throughout the ages. God is the Father of all the people throughout the ages, and He says, "Because of that, I bow my knees and and I pour out my heart uh, to God." And so. So what I want us to do is, is so he bows his knees and he pours out his heart and he, and, and he prays and he, what he does, there's really three possibilities that he prays for or we could call them blessings. It's Thanksgiving. We'll just call them blessings. He prays for three blessings for us and then he leaves us with a promise. And so let's kind of deal with that. And I, I, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to talk my way through the text or we're going to talk our way through the text. Now I, I'm going to give you an outline because some of you like outlines and and I like outlines, but I had a little bit of a challenge outlining it. But anyway, I'll I'll give that to you. But what I want to do is there, there are three purpose clauses in the text that we read. And you often see those when you see the word that. Uh, sometimes it's so that. Now, but it's interesting because this one will confuse you. But I want to let me show you what they are, and then we'll talk about them. In in verse 16. He says, "He says that." Just underline that in, in your Bible there. You put a circle around it. That's a purpose statement. I bow my knees in order that. And then he goes into this, and we'll talk about that in a second. Now it looks like the beginning of verse seventeen. So that that looks like the same statement, but actually, that is not. That is a that is a continuation of of the first one. Uh, that's a that's a verb there. And we'll get to that in a moment. But look in the middle of the verse. It says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. So that's the second purpose that we'll talk about. And then if you look in the middle of verse 19, that you may, that in order that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the third one. So there's three potential blessings, three possibilities, three purposes that Paul had for praying this prayer. And we're going to take the next few minutes and we're going to try to unpack those in a way that you and I can comprehend. And I hope that we'll see the value of what Christ has for us. And so uh, if you need an outline, just call. Just say purpose one. Uh, Paul's prayer was the strength to conform to his likeness. Now, it takes a minute to get there because he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner, brain, inner being. And I would say it like this, so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, that is a mouthful of truth. That we could take, there is so much there that we could preach about. There is so much there that we could talk about. But what I want us to try to do is kind of get a sense for, I mean, Paul prays all that, and he's got a very specific reason, and that reason is that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we'll get to that in a moment. But, but let me just say it this way. Uh, when he says there, according to your riches, I pray, uh, what he's talking about is, I mean, that phrase is not out I, Paul says he doesn't say I pray out of God's riches he he does this uh Paul says I pray that according to his riches and there's a there's a significant difference let me illustrate if if you are a millionaire and and you went over to um, to home Day, I don't I don't know who's or you went to brookshire where they're ringing the bell right why well, I don't know where why it is so you went to brookshire and they're ringing the bell at the salvation army you're a millionaire and if you drop to ten, you, let's just say you dropped a hundred in the in the red barrel, you would be giving out of your riches. If you're a millionaire and you give a hundred, that's like us giving the dime, right? You know, maybe a dollar. But if you, as a millionaire, you go by there and you write a check for 10, 20, 30,000, maybe fifty thousand. You wouldn't be giving out of your riches. You would be giving according to your riches. Are you with me? Because you, if you have this vast amount, then you can, you can give a vast amount. And so what Paul is saying, God has this vast amount of, of, of riches. One writer said, God's infinite benevolence to those who follow him. And when you, st- in fact, uh, that phrase is used a couple of times in scriptures. One of the most popular places in, in Philippians 4.19, where Paul says, you, you know this, uh, Paul says, my God shall supply all your needs, what? According to his riches in glory. And so that, as the backdrop, and so out of that richness, that vast ocean of riches, riches of His glory, He says, "I pray that He would strengthen you with power." Now, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, strength and power last week. I don't want to spend a great deal of time, or two weeks ago, I don't want to spend a great deal of uh, time doing that. I, I just want you to understand that there's this great power uh, that's available to you and me. But, 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 notice how it comes. It comes through His Spirit in. Our inner being, and so the greatness of God's power. And so, if you're if you're going to experience the power of God, and if I'm going to experience the power of God, then we've got to be filled with, anointed by, the Spirit of God. If you're a believer, the Spirit lives in you. That's not the question. But does the Spirit have control of you? And so, Paul's pray here. I pray. I bow my knees. That out of out of according to His glorious riches. He might strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. In other words, in your, uh, really, the, the idea there is is the soul. Um, God God has this unlimited supply of strength and power. It's available to us. It's there in us. It's at work in our inner being, in our soul. And, and, and so, so all that's true. Now, you might go, so what? I mean, I know that, Mike, I know that's true. Why why does that matter? Well, look at verse 17. So, he says, so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, you might be going, time out, time out. If I'm a believer, if I'm a follower of Jesus, if I'm being born again, doesn't Christ already dwell in my heart through faith? Yeah. If you're saved, He dwells in your heart through faith, but but it but it doesn't stop there. Remember, uh, some of you, if if you get the David De- Jeremiah Jemo- uh, devotional, he, he had this little thing a couple a few days ago, and I meant to bring it with me, but he talked about how you know now Baptists don't dance, but he talked about how you know you, you gotta you gotta remember the girl that brought you to the dance, right? You know that's that old saying. You know you gotta dance with the girl that brung you. You know, even though we don't dance, right? You know, uh, so I don't want to give ourselves trouble. But but wait, but he's talking about okay. It's grace that saves us, but it's also grace that sanctifies us. Christ dwells in our heart through faith that saves us. But but there's more to Christ dwelling in our heart. It it, the, the same Christ dwelling in our heart that saves us. God wants that same faith to shape us. And that's the idea. Now, interesting, the word dwell is, um, it means to occupy a house. In the Greek, the word is oikeo, or the verb is to dwell is oikeo. It means to occupy a house. That is not the word here. There's another word in the Greek. It's kata oikeo. I know you're dying to know what that means. But, but when you put the kata with the oikeo, it means to permanently occupy a house. And so what Paul was saying is, I'm praying that God will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ might permanently invade and occupy your heart. Like one does a house. Now, you say, why does that matter? How many of you rented a house or leased a house before you... How many of you ever rented or leased? Maybe before you bought. Some of you are renting and leasing now. But there's, there's a world of difference when you rent than there is when you're owned. And, and now we could go a lot of directions with that. But let me just tell you, here was our experience. We rented a little place... Uh, before we moved into our home uh, for, for for probably longer than we wanted to. But but when you rent, they let you decorate to a point. We couldn't paint a wall. We couldn't move a door. We couldn't move a wall. We couldn't put a hole. We weren't even supposed to put a hole in the wall. Now, I did slip. I'm confessing. I would take a straight pen and a pair of needle nose pliers, and I would ease that thing down in the wall. And we would hang something light up, and then when you poke it out, you just kind of lick your finger and rub over that little spot, and it's gone. Now, did I break the rule? Guilty as charged. Okay, let's fess up. But, but, but here's the thing. When you rent, all you can do is decorate. But if you're the owner, you got free reign. You can paint any wall you want to paint. You can move a wall. You can tear out the appliances. You can, I mean, when you own the place, you get to do whatever you want. See, when you, when you rent, you decorate. When you own, you can renovate. Here's the, here's the picture Paul was painting. He said, I'm praying. That God will strengthen you with power by His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ can dwell in your heart, not just to decorate, so Christ can come into your heart and He can renovate your life. He can renovate. Tom Nelson says this. He says a lot of us know Christians that are decorated. They, they get up on Sunday and they come to church and they put on their clothes and they put on their smile. And they go to Sunday school and they go here and they do this and they volunteer for that. And they just decorate right up. But has Jesus really renovated their life? See, Paul's prayer was not that we'll have enough Jesus in our heart to save us. Paul's prayer is that we'll get enough Jesus in our heart that he will shape us and that he will change us. And we will no longer be the person that we used to be. And so the question this morning, as we think about this, does Christ have the right, does Jesus have the right to renovate your life? Does he have the right to change how you treat your spouse? Does he have the right to change how we treat our kids or how we parent? our kids, adult or children. You know, does he have the right to speak into our relationships? Does Jesus does he have the right to um, to control our schedule and dictate what we sign up for, what our kids sign up for, what our what our parents sign up for? I mean, does he have the right? I mean, do, do we, have we given him the right to change our time and to change our schedule? Does Jesus have the right to manage our finances? Does he get to control the media presence in our life? Because see, here's the thing. When, when, when he becomes the owner, he gets to do whatever he wants. But if all we're doing is letting him rent space, he can decorate, but he cannot renovate. And so that's kind of the question. When you examine your life, What uh, does Christ, have you given him the the opportunity and the power to change? And so so Paul prays, listen, I'm praying that, that you'll have the strength. To be conformed into the likeness of Christ. But, the, but that's not all. Let's go secondly. There's another there. Let's look down at verse, uh, the middle of verse 17. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, interesting terms. Are those, it's kind of a mixed metaphor. There's a there's the the word rooted is an agricultural term. Um, it, it simply means to to put down put down roots and to be nourished and, and all those things that are affiliated with Horticulture and agriculture. The second term is the term, uh, grounded, uh, almost founded upon. If you think about the foundation, that's kind of the eye, the picture there. And what he's saying is that you being rooted and grounded. In other words, what he's saying is, uh, the, uh, the grammar there, if you study it says that, that what happened, when you came to Christ, here's what happened. You, you were rooted in Christ. In other words, all the nurture, nourishment, that you need. It, it was given to you and, and it, and you have that available to you. And secondly, uh, the foundation, the firmness, the solid, the foundation to, to endure the storm and to, to, uh, to go through everything that life comes, that, that foundation, that, that groundedness that you need, that's already available to you. And so he's, what he's saying is that you, because that's true, I want you to be able to comprehend the breadth, and height, and width, and depth—in other words, to to understand literally the dimensions, if you will, uh, of the love of Christ—and and that's kind of the idea there. Now, different writers have kind of done different things, but 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 notice what he says there. He talks about the breadth and length and height and depth. What what does he mean? It, isn't, it, isn't it kind of interesting? Because we live in three dimensions. And yet God gives us four here. There, there's, you know, he has at least one more dimension. But when you think about the breadth of the love of Christ, what 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 does that mean? Um, Revelation 7, 9 talks about that there are, you know, about people that are redeemed from every tribe and every nation. The breadth of God's love is that he has this unconditional, unwavering, unchanging love for anybody and for everybody. I mean, God loves the Buddhist as much as he loves the Baptist. God loves the Muslim as much as he loves the Methodist. God loves the prostitute just as much as he loves the Sunday school teacher. God loves the pornographer just as much as he loves the preacher. Listen, the breadth of God's love is unlimited. God loves everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so the thing that 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 says to us is that no matter where you are, no matter where we've been, God's love is available to us, and so that's the breadth of His love. Then He uses the term the length of God's love. Well, what is the length of God's love? Well, it began in eternity past, and really it 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 goes to eternity future. In fact, uh, one writer noted that if, if go back to uh, Ephesians one, listen to verse four. Ephesians 1, 4 says, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Listen to this term. In love. What did God do in love? In love. That, that, that's in the beginning. Before the foundation of the world. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. And, and so, so the length of God's love, it began in eternity. But, but did, you know the, did you know the Bible says, I think it's in 1 Peter. God is long-suffering to us, almost to usward. You know, you know that verse? Not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Do you ever wonder why God doesn't just say, I am done with y'all? And I don't mean y'all, but I mean us. Or do you ever wonder why God just doesn't look at this world and say, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm done. Why not? Because the, because His, His love is so long suffering. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come, uh, to repentance. And, and then we talk about, uh, the depth, uh, you know, or the height of His love. I think Ian probably alluded to this last week. Uh, Verse 5 of chapter 2, God made us alive in Christ. Um, God raised us up with Christ and God seated us with Christ in the heavens. How high is God loved? God can take a wretched, rotten, rebellious sinner like me and redeem me and then raise me up and sit me in the heavenlies at the right hand of the Father beside Jesus. I mean, can you imagine that God could take someone like you and me and, and take away our sin and then raise us up and seat us into heaven? I and mean, that's incredible. And here's, here's what's really interesting. I, I don't know if y'all dealt with verse seven last week. Look at chapter two, verse seven. I love this verse. Uh, who went deer? Anybody go deer hunting? Any deer hunters? Man, I can't believe we're in Texas and no, okay, there's finally somebody went deer hunting. Okay. It's okay to admit that. It, it, there's nothing wrong with deer hunting. But look at verse seven. It says, now why did, why did God make us alive, uh, raise us up and seat us at his right hand in the heavenlies? Here's that, that, that purpose word again, that so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's what I want you to get in this picture. When a deer hunter goes out and, and, and gets the muy grande, what does he do with him? He cuts off his head. He takes him to the taxidermist. He says, I want you to mount this thing and he puts it on the wall in his living room, uh, contrary to what his wife wants. Okay. He scares all the babies, but he puts this thing on the wall so that everybody will know I'm a deer slayer. You know, I, in fact, I read a, a guy killed one in Tennessee last week. If, it, when it dries out, he shot it with a muzzle loader, measured 300, Boone and Crockett points, 308 and like a half. If, if it lasts for 60 days, it'll be a world record. Non-typical. It's got 46 points. It's the creepiest looking thing, uh, you can see. But, but, but here's the thing. That's a trophy. It says to the world, look, look at me. I'm a deer slayer. It's a, God loves this so much. His love is so high for us that one day he's going to put us on display in the heavenlies to, I guess, I guess it's to all the angels and I guess it's to all the, but he's going to put us up there on display and say, look at these people saved by my grace. That's how much God loves you. That's the height of his love. And then he talks about the depth of his love. Well, I, and I don't know how to go there, other than God can, can reach down into the whorehouses and the bar rooms and the, and the drug-infested places and the, the, the places where people are so self-righteous and cynical. God can reach all the way down here and he can raise us up. And he can wash us in the precious blood and he can make us brand new in Christ and then sit us up there at the right hand of the majesty on high. And and so Paul says that and then he makes this statement that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You can't, listen, listen, you can't get your mind around how much he loves you. Now, we ought to live for him. We ought to be shaped by him. We ought to do everything we can to honor him and obey him. But here's what, here's what the love of Christ means. That even when we totally blow it, that love can reach way down there. When we wallow in the pit and raise us up with Christ. And Paul says, I, I pray that you'll know this overwhelming love. This this love that's, that you'll comprehend love that you cannot comprehend. And so what I want you to know, church, what we need to know, church, is because God loves us that much. No matter what happens, no matter where how we mess up, his grace is there for us. And he wants to pick us up and raise us up. Why? And then, and then we get to the third one. If you look in the middle of verse 19, and we've got to go quickly. That you may be filled to all the fullness of God. The word filled. Uh, you don't fill yourself. It's a passive voice. In other words, that you be filled by where well, you're filled by the Holy Spirit. You're filled by the power of God. And you're filled to what? You're filled to all the fullness of God, uh, and, and kind of the idea there, and I, and I wrote this down. I don't want this to come out wrong because I don't want to sell. I don't want it to be Mormonistic. That's not a word, but but you know Mormons think they're going to become God. But the idea conveyed here is that everything God is, the the character that God has, we can have. In in other words, when we're filled with the fullness of God, we have the potential to love like God loves. Could you imagine if we could love people? Like God loves people. The the, the fact that we, when we're filled with the fullness of God, that we can forgive, like God forgives. Can you imagine how it would change our relationships with people? Can you imagine how it would it would change our conversations about people that we disagree with if we could love like He loves and forgive like He forgives? I mean, it, it means that we can be pure, as pure as He is pure. Because Paul says that they can be filled to all, not, not to some of the fullness of God, but that we can be filled to all the fullness of God. I mean, imag- just think about this. I mean, church, what if, what if we loved lost sinners like God did? What would we say to people that are dying and going to hell if we loved them? If we were filled to all the fullness of God and, 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 we, and we cared about them like God cares about them. Because, because what's possible, what, what, what that text says is, is what God is, It's possible for us to have. You know, Paul said, imitate me as I what? Imitate me as I imitate. So it's possible for us to be like him. And so Paul says, I'm, I, I want you, to, listen, I'm praying that you'll be filled to all the fullness of God. And so if, imagine what our lives would look like if we pursued the holiness and purity that God had. If we gave like God gives, if we forgave like he forgives, if we love lost people like he loved lost people, how would that impact our family? How would it impact our church? How would it impact our neighborhood? How would it, excuse me, impact our community? I mean, why do, why do we not pray, Now I'm saying this to me because I'm the lead pastor, why are we not praying like Paul prayed, that we would be like Paul, Paul prayed we could be? I mean, imagine what could happen in the Wimberley Valley if if we knew, if our lives were conformed to Jesus if we wrapped our mind around the overwhelming love God has for us and for them, if we were filled to all the fullness of it, imagine the impact we could have on our community. Why do we not ask? Why do we not ask? And Paul kind of, he gave them this promise. He said, here, what's possible? He said, it's possible for you. You know, for Christ to dwell in your heart permanently and to shape your life and to change your life. It's possible for you to comprehend love that's incomprehensible. It's possible for you to be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul said all that's possible. Those blessings are possible. And then look at the promise he gives us in verse 20, uh, verse 20 and verse 21. Real quick, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power. Look at this. At work where? where? Within us, what is that power? It's the Holy Spirit of God. Where where is it? It's in us. It's at work in us. And so, God is able to do. This is incredible. Uh, uh, A theologian named uh, Let me see if I can get his name, Arthur Pearson. He said, "He said there's a sevenfold measure of the power of God in, in that verse, in that benediction." He said, "He said first, God is able to do what we ask. Second, God is able to do all that we ask. Third, He is able to do what we think." Fourth, he is able to do all that we think. Fifth, he is able to do above all that we ask or think. Sixth, he is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. And seventh, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. What a promise. So why? So, the question for me and the question for you is why are we not asking him? To do what we need Him to do. I mean, what is it it in your life? And we probably should think spiritual, but I think we can think the whole of life. What is it that we need God to do for us? And the question is, are we asking Him to do that? If, if, if God doesn't do what we need him to do in our nation, if God doesn't do what we need him to do in our church, if God doesn't do what we need him to do in our family, if he doesn't do what we need him to do in our life, is it, it it must not be, it cannot be because God can't do it. Because he can't. It might not be that God, because God doesn't want to do it. But it dare not be because we don't ask him to do it. Because he's made some promises. He said, I can do more, abundantly more. I can do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ever ask or think up according to my power that is at work in you. It's a church. What are you asking him to do for you? What are you asking him to do in you? And what are we asking him to do through you? For you, in you, and through you because he can do more than we can ever imagine. But we got to ask.